17. Again, because this is the primary kernel that precursors the whole book of Romans. Romans 1, 16 to 17. So let's read this out loud together, and then we'll jump into verse 16 here. Uh, could you read this with me? And I trust that it's true of you as it was true of Paul, uh, for I'm not ashamed. Okay, let's go together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for, again, as we've already prayed, for the opportunity to worship you. And we know we, we, we have our whole life that's worship. And, and so we, we, we believe every bush is a burning bush. And as we're changing a tire or as we're balancing books or whatever we do, Lord, we do to your glory. Um, but also as we read, we, we read your word, you, you have this teaching that, that you're telling us that as the saints gather, that, that we are, we plural are the temple. And as we gather together, there's something as special as the gathering there of the Old Testament saints in Jerusalem that they longed for and they anticipated and they desired to do with all their heart. And so we have anticipated this day and uh, all throughout the week we've looked forward to meeting with the saints and not just meeting to hear what's going on in our week, but, but to meet together at your feet, Lord Jesus. You are worthy of all honor and praise and we get a picture of us doing this in heaven. This is a heavenly thing we're doing right now. And we do believe that Ephesians 3 tells us that the angels are looking down and they're seeing people from all the people groups coming together to worship in unity. And they marvel at your wisdom, God. And so this is an amazing thing that you're doing in Queens in this building. And we praise you for it. We thank you that we're able to be a part of it. And we ask that our service, our songs, Lord, we offer them to you. Our singing, our scriptures, our prayers, they're not for us. Lord Jesus, they're for you. You are the one who is here. You're present. Your spirit is filling us. We ask that he would fill each one of us. That this would be a gift from your spirit to be a common union together. As he indwells all of us to the praise and the honor and the glory of the Father. And so we pray that this would be a special time where you do this. And we know that you've promised to do this through your word, Lord. And so as we devote time to these words and understanding their nuances and understanding how these phrases fit together, may we be students of your word that are diligent, that are diligent, that we may be approved to you. Lord, not just haphazardly putting them together, but carefully examining them holding them up, letting them go from our mind, most importantly, into our heart, change our heart, and then, then especially, Lord, may we be transformed to the image of Your Son as we leave today. May we be changed people, transformed from glory to glory by Your Spirit. We pray Your blessing on the Gibbons. We pray that You would bless their church today in London. We pray for Your blessing on the young adults as they travel back. May this be a very rich time for them as they fellowship together driving uh, even later today keep them safe on the road and then also we uh, pray for our country we thank you for the freedom that we have and this new year of 
birthday helps us remember that and ask that you would keep us safe, ask that you would allow our country to um, honor this freedom with, uh, with gospel progress. Um, Lord, that you would bless us with leaders who fear you and know you and have a sense that the decisions they make, they will be held accountable for what they do and say. And so we ask for that, Lord, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. That is a very important phrase, and I I trust that you'll be able to leave today with an understanding of how, by God's grace, to not be ashamed of the gospel will give us three reasons. This person in the bottom right was not ashamed of the gospel. Hugh Latimer taught at Cambridge, was a bishop in the Church of England, uh, when it was difficult to do that because there was a Oppression from royalty. Uh, this is when, as a king, you could put someone to death for crimes of faith, of religion. And so people actually were executed for what they did and said, according to the, the scriptures. And so Latimer, in his 70s, was called to court as a preacher. Uh, he was a bold preacher. Certain things were not permitted to be said from the pulpit. Once he preached in King Henry VIII's presence, and Henry got, Henry got angry, didn't approve of Latimer's message. Because of the speech and how he preached it, he was ordered, because of the offense taken by the king, ordered to repeat next week, or to preach again the next week and apologize for what he said. The next Sunday, after reading his text, he got up and he started talking to himself. Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease. But then consider well, Hugh. Dost thou not know from whence thou comest? Upon whose message thou art sent? Even by the great and mighty God, who is all present, and who beholdeth all thy ways, and who is able to cast thy soul into hell? Therefore, take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. And he got up and preached the same sermon. with greater zeal and fervor than the previous week. He was a fiery preacher, even in his 70s, and that would come back to haunt him in one sense. Queen Mary ascended to the throne and wanted to put out Protestantism, or the idea of faith alone, Christ alone, and reinstitute Roman Catholicism. And so she killed hundreds. She would burn people at the stake for their preaching of the gospel. She took old 70-year-old Latimer and sentenced him to death, to burn for heresy. And so he came to the stake with his younger friend Ridley, uh, who also preached the gospel as a bishop uh, there in London. And as they faced the fire, he said, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley. Play the man. 
We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. And he died. And we still quote that to this day. And he was probably quoting a different, an earlier martyr. But here is a 70-year-old man who was not ashamed of what? The gospel. The gospel of Romans 1.16 and 17. Cranmer was looking on, watching that. And we'll get to him in a moment. It's good to know Latimer, Ridley, and Cranmer. They stood for the gospel in England. Uh, Cranmer became one of the most well-known English uh, figures. And to this day, I think Amazon Prime right now has a, has a years-long history of his life. Um, Latimer stood strong to the fire because he was not ashamed of the gospel. A very bold declaration to stand unashamed of the gospel. I wonder if we could say that together, okay? And you can live it differently, but let's all just encourage us, each other, to stand unashamed for the gospel here, okay? We're going to just read this out loud together. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can I hear you say that? Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Last week we saw the first reason why it's helpful or easy-er to be unashamed of the gospel. Anybody remember the word without looking at your notes? What is the gospel? It's P word, power. The gospel is powerful, powerful. Um, The gospel is powerful, so I am not ashamed of it because it has power. It unleashes God's saving power. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? First of all, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is God's power, and that God's power is manifested in this amazing thing. And again, we, we went through this last Sunday, and you can go through the notes there from the previous week. But it is manifested in saving people from the penalty of their sin. Okay? That's how powerful it is. And that's why we are not to be ashamed of it. Right? If I were today to have some dynamite and I was going into a rock quarry and my dynamite was a little old and, and a little tattered um, compared to other people's dynamite and they're looking at me and uh, look at those rocks. If it works, I'm unashamed because my dynamite speaks for me. I don't have to make sure the rocks are set just right, make sure the ribbon's really nicely tied. I just put that dynamite down, set the charge, and it speaks for itself. That guy brought some amazing dynamite to this rock. That's never going to happen. But I don't, have to, I don't have to wait five years to make sure the rocks are set up just right. Right? I don't have to make sure the dynamite looks just right. I just have to light the fuse. Because the power is in the dynamite. It's the same with the gospel. We don't have to wait for the setting to be exactly right. We've got to just get it to the rocks, that hardened rock of unbelief, and just set it free. 
And, and, and I can be unashamed because I know the gospel is the power. It's not me. It's not you. And so I'm unashamed because the gospel is powerful. Ridley's ashes are long gone. The gospel of the cross continues to burn bright all over the world because it's the gospel that's powerful. It's not our stance. It's the gospel. Okay, so there's another reason as we continue on. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is powerful. Let's say this together too. Help us to remember these three reasons. The first reason is the last week, I'm not ashamed because what? The, the gospel is powerful. Let's try that again. I'm not ashamed because the gospel is powerful. So if you want to be unashamed, you've got to deepen your belief and your understanding of the power of the gospel. If we start standing on our own feet, we will be unashamed. We will halter. We'll, fa- we'll faint. But the, the power is inherent in that dynamite. And you remember the Greek word is powerful is dunamis, right? where we get our word dynamite. Okay, reason number two. A, it, it unveils that a right standing with God is open for all who will believe. This is why I should be unashamed of the gospel, because it unveils that a right standing with God is open for all who will believe. And so we get the phrases today from these two twos, T-W-O-T-O's, where I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. What is the power of God? Where is that applied to? Who receives that power of salvation? This is, this gospel message is to everyone who believes, first of all. And it is to, what's the next one? The Jew first. And also to the Greek. Two very interesting phrases. And and as we were going last week, I was like, there's no way we're going to cover that in one Sunday and handle it well. Uh, just understanding this concept of two, this, the salvation of God is to everyone who believes, and the salvation of God is to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So let's dive into this. We find the unlimited condition, faith, and these two universal categories, okay? So first of all, the unlimited condition. I'm using these words purposely. There is an unlimited, and that sounds like there would be no condition, But there's an unlimited condition. There's a condition necessary to be saved. Um, And that is this faith. Faith. Our theme for today. To everyone who believes. So to everyone. Right? So as you share the gospel, you don't have to think, well, is this person, right? Is this person in this category or not? Is this person elect or not? You, You don't have to think about that at all. You just have to say, this gospel is for everyone to hear. And it's salvation to everyone who believes. Okay? It's to everyone. To everyone. That's unlimited. The Holy Spirit is not making a mistake as it encourages us to share the gospel with everyone. Encourage us to believe that everyone is on a level playing field ready to receive the gospel. It's not a certain class It's not a certain education. It's not a certain uh, ethnicity is what he gets into. It's to everyone. The idea is if there was a water spigot, and it is a pipe placed to every apartment, 
And, and it's all over New York City. Every apartment has access to water. And you just, the condition is opening it. The condition is, is the faucet turned on? The condition is, is it open? But it's, it's accessible to everyone. And so, as Paul spoke with the Philippian jailer, right? He, they're hearing, he's hearing them sing about salvation, about deliverance, even in prison. And there's this great earthquake, and he thinks he's going to die. And what does he yell out? Sirs, what must I do to what? Be saved. He wants to be saved. And so we're talking about salvation. What do you need to do to be saved? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. How can someone be saved? They're saved by faith. That is the condition of the heart that brings salvation. It's the, it's the nozzle turned on. It's available to all. Effective for those who believe. And so, this is just kind of helpful for us to think carefully about that idea. Okay, and we're going to be able to get into this through, as we go through the book a little more carefully. But to everyone who believes here, as we just begin the idea of faith, we have the first kind of narrowing down. It's not to everybody. Not everybody is saved. It's available to everybody, but there is a condition. It's everyone who is believing. Does that mean it's everyone who's a believer? Right? Can you believe that God loves you if you fly your airplane into buildings and kill more Americans? Is that someone who's believing? They sincerely hold that belief. Well, is that a sincerely hold belief that God's going to bless? No. Okay? So we know that it's not just belief in general. There is a specific person that they believe into. And so the way we'll kind of summarize this is K-A-T, cat. Okay? Uh, That will help you remember it. And and this is just helpful for you. Please take notes. Please remember this. And and I'm saying this, hopefully giving a little more time to it today so that you can remember it the rest of your life. Uh, Historians... Uh, use the word notitiae as far as knowing the facts, the first one, and then comprehension of the facts, ascension, a census, and then trusting the facts, fiducia. But we're going to use cat, K-A-T. I think that will help us remember it. Know the facts, affirm the facts, trust the facts. First of all, you have to know the facts of the gospel. Uh, faith is knowing the facts revealed about Jesus. God reveals himself generally in creation But that's not the gospel. He has spoken to us specifically in His Son, Jesus Christ. The perfect Lamb of God who gave up His life for our eternal well-being by taking upon Himself the sins of all the world. And so the priest lays his hand in signifying that the sins of this person who's brought the Lamb... Their sins are being placed on that lamb, and that lamb is dying in their stead. And so Jesus comes forward to Calvary, and the Father places the sins of all humanity upon His head. That is, in essence, the Gospel. Sacrificial atonement. Many know these facts, but many do not know these facts. So the first condition of faith is that you know the Gospel. And that's why we're here. That's why we're saying, be unashamed of the gospel. Because a lot of people don't know. You say, well, what about those who don't know? 
stop there, shame on us. Right? If they don't know, we got to get busy. That's where we go with that idea. And so each week our, our, our church is striving by God's grace to be all about that. And you are, as, as the Lord sovereignly puts you in contact with other people, right? And you do find people that have never known. They don't know the message of Jesus. Maybe they not just did not know, but they know a different set of facts about Jesus. That is not the good news. We need to know the good news as revealed by God himself in Scripture. Some say that Jesus did not die on the cross. Right? That would be Christian science, the place where we meet. They would say Jesus did not die on the cross. And that's the wrong view of Jesus. Some would say that Judas took Jesus' place. That would be the Muslim view. Right? That would be the wrong view. That's not the good news. The good news is that God's son, Jesus, came into... So it's not just knowing the facts. It's knowing the right facts about Jesus. It's not knowing just Jesus' name. Can't we just all love one another and believe Jesus? Yes. What is Jesus in God's perfect word revealed to us about him? I love the old hymn. We haven't sung it here in a while. Um, what think ye of Christ? I think I'll sing at least one verse. Uh, the, the, the words are so serious that I don't necessarily like the tune because the tune makes me feel like it's like in a 1700s pub. And that, that's probably where John Newton heard it. Uh, author of Amazing Grace. Uh, but he also wrote, he wrote many hymns. This is one of them. <clears throat> what think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme? You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. As Jesus appears in your view, as he is beloved or not, so God is disposed to you, and mercy or wrath are your lot. Now listen, he starts naming things you must believe truly about Jesus. Some take him a creature to be, a man or an angel at most. Sure, these have not feelings like me, nor know themselves wretched and lost. Now listen where he goes with that. Right, some don't believe in his deity, only his humanity. How could a, a man save, is what he says. So guilty, so helpless am I, I dare not confide in his blood, nor on his protection rely, unless I were sure he is God. And he goes on to the Roman Catholic view and says some people try to mix their works with Jesus' works as if his works were not enough. Some call him a savior in word, but mix their own works with his plan and hope he his help will afford when they have done all that they can. If doings prove rather too light, a little they own, they may fail. They purpose to make up full weight 
by casting his name in the scale. The idea that, okay, well, if my works can't do it, then I'll put Jesus in. That's not salvation. That's wrong faith. That's faith in a church. Faith in religion. Then he ends this way. Beautiful. Actually, I'm going to skip that verse and I'll I'll finish with the last one. If asked what of Jesus I think, though still my best thoughts are but poor, I say he's my meat and my drink, my life and my strength and my store, my shepherd, my husband, my friend, my savior from sin and from thrall, my hope from beginning to end, my portion, my Lord and my all. There's someone who is saved. Christ is all. Sola Christus. Only Christ. Throw anything on there. Other than that, it is not saving faith. It is heresy. It is not what the Bible teaches, I should say. You cannot be saved if you do not know the gospel. Faith alone and Christ alone. Christ is all the gospel. So you know the facts. But it's not just knowing the facts. Yes, you understand the gospel. Someone has preached the gospel to you. But a lot of people reject the gospel. So we go from knowing the facts to affirming them. Right? K-A-T. And that K doesn't help us. I guess you could, we should do something different. Because it's a silent K. But know the facts Affirm the facts. Someone shares this with you, you say, yes, I believe that is true. I believe that is true. And a lot of folks hear that when they're a child, 10 years old, and they kind of feel it's true. And then when they get to be 18, they reject it. Someone here may have learned the facts and said, well, I kind of generally think that's true, but then they reject it. That's not saving faith. There's this third very important fact. Okay. So it goes from knowing to affirming. I think that's true. Assenting to those details to lastly, trusting it's true for you. There is a volition here that says, I trust in Jesus. Remember the verse in, in James? Who, who believes with the first two, and is definitely not saved. Anybody remember? Yell it out, class. Somebody help us. No, the demons, right? The demons believe and tremble. That definitely doesn't save them. And they tremble. They believe it's true. There's no volition there. And so James is saying, it's got to go deeper than that. There has to be your whole being that says, not, I'm a good person. If Jesus, you know, if he can help me, great. Or I'll try this for a little bit. No, it's I need him and I latch hold with all my heart. That's trusting in the gospel. Lord willing, this month, here next week or two, I can't go on vacation unless I finish it. Uh, we'll be publishing a book by Dr. Leighton Talbert, uh, Soteriology. And uh, does an amazing job with helping us with all these things. But define saving faith this way. Faith includes both intellectual assent to specific facts. 
but also emotional, volitional commitment to the personal reality and ramification of those facts. Trust. So it's not just believing the facts, it's personal, I trust this to be true for me. When you come to the cross, you cling to the cross. We use the illustration in our booklet about uh, knowing that you have eternal life, about a burning building. And actually read this in the New York Times, I think it was the archives, that there was a livery stable that, that caught on fire in the upper east side, west side, and uh, someone was dangling from a shutter as the firemen were trying to make their way up to him. So this is a, a real story. But at some point, the person had to leave the kind of the swinging in the breeze shutter and trust the firemen's lap. And that's the idea. The idea is, first of all, you, you know the facts. You've got to know that your, fi- your house is on fire. You've got to know that there's a ladder out there. Then you have to sense that it's there. And you go out and you say, you know what? I believe that it's here and I believe that that can hold me. That's still not going to save you. What do you have to do? You've got to get out of your window. You've got to repent. You've got to turn from here and you've got to trust totally on Jesus. Nothing else. I am resting totally on Jesus. That's saving faith. And that's usually calling on the name of the Lord. It's saying, Jesus... Forgive me of all my sin because you can and save me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner that's trusting in Jesus. And he saves you. It's trusting those facts are true for you. I don't care about anyone else. It's me and God, the only ones in this room here. And I'm asking him for salvation. That fire is real. My life is burning up. And I need Jesus. And God has come to me through Christ. I accept his ladder. I believe in Him. I appropriate it to myself. Or perhaps we could use the best illustration. Jesus, when Jesus used, it's like partaking of bread. We'll do that at the Lord's table. It's, it's seeing, yeah, that, that bread's going to be helpful. I believe the properties will help me. Uh, I believe if I eat this, I'll be sustained. But you have to eat it. And Jesus says, eat of me. That's what He's talking about. Believe in me. Trust in me. Appropriate. Make this truth your own. Cast yourself upon his mercy, love, and grace. You got him? No firm trust? Okay, so down the road, you're going to need this. It may sound a little technical here, but you're going to need it. You've got to understand the nature of saving faith. And, and cat will help you. Know, affirm, or assent the facts, and then trust that it's true. Okay, we've got to keep moving. Um, so, to everyone who believes, to who, everyone who believes, and then we have these two universal categories, which are fascinating. Two, two universal categories. What is it? To whom first? To the Jew first. And also to the Greek. To the Jew first. And also to the Greek. We actually have several Jewish people in our church. right? And so in our Lord's table service, maybe we'll just serve them first. I don't know. To the Jew first. What does that mean? You ever wondered about that? Well, let's take just a, a second. If you'll look at Romans chapter 2, this only comes up in Rome, Romans. These phrases exactly like this. But look in your Bible, Romans chapter 2, verse 9. For those of you who are Jewish and may feel pr- proud about this, well, there's another side to it. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh Uh-oh, we didn't want that one. And then chapter 10, verse 12, kind of gives the other side of this in the gospel. And so we can't overemphasize this idea where chapter 10 of Romans, verse 12 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Okay? And so that seems to kind of push the other side. Well, well, there is the gospel to the Jew first, but then, then we also have to recognize that all of us are the same before the Lord, and he doesn't show preference to one over the other. And so what is he referring to here? To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Maybe I'll just take a moment with also to the Greek, um, and then, then we'll consider this Jew first. This actually, again, providentially, the Lord puts these things together. Um, uh, we just had a Sunday school class, and if you missed the Sunday school class, you should, you should view it uh, in the week. Collins um, surveyed the whole history of ancient Greece in, in 50 minutes. It was very helpful. Um, but, but what came from that is the fact that Alexander, in that day, had conquered the known world as far as they were concerned. And, and now he didn't necessarily make everyone become Greek, but that culture from Aristotle and um, the thinking of that day just spread all over. And so it was a way to refer to those who were not Jewish. And so there were Jewish people who, who really were careful not to take any of that culture on. They were not Hellenized. And so we're Jewish. We're not going to take anything that's Greek. And, and so that's kind of what Paul's referring to here. The Jew and then also the Greek. That would be everybody else. It's not just those in Greece. Okay? So it's Jew and Gentile. And some translations actually, I think they shouldn't, but, but they actually just gloss that as Gentile. Um, that is what it's referring to. Jew and Gentile. Have you wondered, though, how is the gospel first to the Jewish people? All right, the term first, we'll just take a second with that. First is, it does have two concepts that are over, uh, overlapping, they're interrelated. The idea of first in a sequence, and the idea of first in importance. So I just looked up all 67 times that it comes up in the New Testament, and most of them have to do with sequence. First, take out the beam that's in your own eye, and then you'll be able to take out the little little splinter in that other person's eye. So you do this first, and then you do that. But there's this other way that the word first is used as far as priority. And so you have Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The idea is not, okay, for the first five years that I'm saved, I'm going to seek God's kingdom, because that came first, and then the last 20 years of my life, I'm going to live for myself. Well, the idea there is priority. It's always seeking first the kingdom of God. And what's interesting here is it's present tense. Here Paul is much later. It's not just historical. You could say, well, he's just saying sequential because everyone who was first saved was Jewish. But it does seem that in God's economy, he has chosen the Jewish people. They are his chosen people. And, and so you have Jacob. He can be a rascal. This was his name. These 12 sons. From them, the, all the, the Jewish folks, and God chose first to use them as the stage 
on which His Son would be crucified. He chose them to bring Messiah. He chose them to bring Scripture. Almost all of the authors of your Bible are Jewish. He chose them as the original authors of salvation. Right? Now, what's helpful here is to recognize that what he's doing is he's previewing the whole book. And so he's going to give chapter 9, 10, and 11 on that theme. Uh, and we'll try to go more quickly through those chapters. We're given a lot of time to these two verses, but as we go through the rest of the book, we'll be able to do it more quickly. But he, he's just serving. He's going to spend a lot of time on that. And what he's going to say is, be careful because they're the natural branch. And Gentiles, you're the unnatural. And you're grafted into God's body, but don't be proud about it. Okay, so, so there is still a sense in which this is still the Jewish stage and Jesus is a Jewish Messiah and, and there's this priority then even as we reach out to be careful to reach out to Jewish people and encourage them to believe in Messiah. If you have your Bible, you could look at Acts 13.42. This was the constant practice of Paul as he preached the gospel. Listen to verse 42. Paul and Barnabas were going out The people kept begging them to teach these things on the Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, the whole city assembles. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right? If one of you goes to synagogue and shares the message of Jesus, and then the next week the Hall of Queens is there to listen... The Jews saw the crowds, all of these Jewish people coming to hear the message of Jesus, all of these Gentiles coming to hear the message of Jesus. When they saw that, they were filled with jealousy, began contradicting the things that Paul was saying or blaspheming. Paul of Artemis speak out boldly and said, it's necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. You repudiate it. We're going to turn to the Gentiles. And they spent time preaching to the Gentiles. This was his constant thing. He went to Jewish people first. And to this day, many folks take that as a calling. I want to make sure I share the Messiah in Jewish neighborhoods. Think of a young church planner in Connecticut. Saw a growing church, and he had a friend. I met this friend, Heiner. He was a crazy man, German mechanic. I knew him as the guy who was trying to get me to fall off of his speedboat as he pulled us around in a tube. And it got to be no fun because it was, it was you against him. And he had a machine. We lived that through that. But Heiner was, he, he just was so impressed with this verse. And he kept coming to Jim, this young pastor. Heiner had a chapel, so he didn't go to his church. He had a chapel where he'd preach the gospel whenever he could. In his yard. But he'd come visit Jim, visit him, visit him, and talk to him about Romans 1.16. The gospel's to the Jew first. The gospel's to the Jew first. How many Jewish people are here in Connecticut? A lot, but not many. He had seven kids. But this verse gripped him. And he said, I gotta move to Brooklyn. And he moved to Brooklyn, took Nancy, seven kids, and to this day, his email is Romans 1.16, right? Pastor Bickle, Jim Bickle. It'll be our mother church there in Brooklyn. Why, why did he come here? He came here because of this verse. 
Romans 1.16, I need to make this a priority. The gospel has priority for everyone. Yes, everyone needs to believe. But if you're Jewish here, you especially need to believe. Messiah's for you. He came for you and we're grafted in, but it's especially for you. What a glorious thing that God came to save everyone. But he came to save Jewish people. And so our second big reason, yes, salvation is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's to everyone. Uh, it's not just to President Putin, President Biden, Mayor Adams. It's to those who are being bussed into our city. It's to your neighbor. It's to everyone. Regardless of ethnicity, regardless of status, whether you're Jew or Gentile, everyone needs to believe the gospel. In fact, you're commanded to embrace Jesus as your Savior and worship Him through the God the Father's glory. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. And then secondly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is for everyone. So why be ashamed of it? It's for that person. Do not be ashamed of it. It's for that person. It's for everybody. That person would never believe. You don't know that. It's for them. It's for them. It's for the hard cases. It's for the very religious Jewish person. It's for the Orthodox Jewish person. It's for the the Roman Catholic priest. It's for the Muslim Iman. It's for everyone. And we have it, the dynamite. So don't be ashamed of it. All right, so let's say this second one. I am not ashamed because the gospel is for everyone. Can I hear you say the gospel is for everyone? It'll just help us remember this. Why are we not ashamed? Secondly, because Because the gospel is for everyone. It belongs to them. So shame on us for not be for, for, for hiding our light under a bushel. We're out of time, but I'll just read these three applications and we can't get into them, but uh, you can write them down or think about them. Uh, first of all, don't decide ahead of time who is going to accept. That person looks so rough. No, they don't. Their heart is tender before the Father and the gospel is powerful. No one has passed hope. So don't judge by external appearance. God is the judge. He knows where people's hearts are. We just present the gospel. We're discerning. We're to be discerning. But we don't judge. We don't condemn. We bring them to Jesus. Number two. Don't be afraid to share Messiah with Jewish friends. Okay? Don't be afraid of that. Don't be ashamed of that. You could just say, I say things like, you know, when they say, I'm Jewish. I immediately say, you know, Jesus is Jewish too. And, and they know that, but they may not think of it. Jesus is still Jewish. He's a Jewish man. He's Savior. He's resurrected, but he didn't change. He still has scars that will show us. Okay, number three. In the end. Uh, be like the Lord in accepting everyone. Let us, let us be careful not to snub people. Open arms, not looking down on people. Loving everyone. For God so loved the world. He shows us, oh, how silly it is to be religious and proud and look down on others. That is so off-putting and wicked. Jesus came to preach against those people. We can be very strict with ourselves. We need to be gracious with everyone. The reason we hate sin is because it's hurting people. And we encourage them to turn from sin so they can trust in Jesus and have eternal life and 
really joy. But let us be careful to accept everyone with friendship, with kindness, uh, and with a welcome to Jesus. With a welcome to Jesus. Thomas Cramer was looking on when Latimer and Ridmey were burnt. He was trying to remain influential. had been one of the most prominent leaders in England to that day. He was a right-hand man to the king. But when Mary assumed the throne, she put off hundreds to death. And she put Cramer in prison. Had him worked on by Roman Catholic theologians. This is uh, saying, again, against the gospel. No, you need to add works to faith. It is not through Christ alone, through faith alone. And he crumbled. He signed a recantation of five points of gospel truth. He stood ashamed. He watched his buddies die, others die, and he stood ashamed. Queen, Queen Mary loved that and decided to burn him anyway. His final appearance before being burnt, he had 15 minutes to preach to a huge throng, and he confessed his sins, the biggest of which was denying the gospel. And he affirmed unashamedly the gospel of Jesus. As he came to the flame, he held his hand in the fire to be burnt first because that was the hand that betrayed him by writing his recantation. Unashamed at last. Unashamed at last. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's all... I just, I just encourage you to believe in Jesus, of course. Um, but the idea of not being ashamed of His gospel message is, is something that we all apply. And, and we want to be careful to let the Spirit give us strength for how to apply that. It may be taking part in our church evangelistic opportunities, right? Um, but... With, with a lot of you also, it's just asking God for what I, the way I put it, and I, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but with favor to spoil the Egyptians. Um, Satan has so many people held bondage. And for some reason, these precious, precious jewels, God at times gives you favor with them. And, and it's not so that you can have another friend. It's because he wants you to share Jesus with them in a way that they will be receiving. And they're not going to cut you off because they see you as a precious diamond or gold piece. And so maybe a good way to pray this, if you understand my illustration there, is asking the Lord for favor with the Egyptians. That God would give you favor with people around you, that you have seven close friends, that you're just trying to live Christ in front of them, but you are also wanting to get the dynamite out and, and tell them about Jesus, okay? So it would be a good way to apply this. But let's all praise God for the gospel. Praise God that he, he gave us faith, opened our eyes to see the light. The light's there for everyone, but the gospel opens the eyes. If you've never accepted Jesus, let me encourage you to get to that third idea of faith, of trusting in him right now for your salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord. If you want someone to help you with that, I'm in the lobby. Be happy to pray with you, but you don't need any person. You just need Jesus. Let's pray.